Hello and welcome to YouTube's favorite comic book channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. We are looking at a classic today, Ed. Jack Cat's First Kingdom, issue 1 to 24. 12 years in the making. One of the first small press direct market attempts at an epic graphic novel. Before we begin, I want to remind everybody that we have a Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon. Three different levels to suit your needs will give you access to our videos early, give you a leg up on the Kayfabe effect, and at the King Kayfaber level, you'll get all of our videos first, as well as front row seats to the recording session. We are currently recording this video with a bunch of the King Kayfabers in our chat room as we go through book by book. If you see one that you want, you'll be the first one to buy that book at the best prices while it's still available. I also want to remind everybody that we will be attending the Baltimore Comic-Con this year. The second weekend in September, we'll be bringing all kinds of books and goodies and arts and prints and posters and all the good stuff that you know from cartoonist Kayfabe. So we hope to see a lot of the King, King Kayfabers at Baltimore Comic-Con. And now I am excited, Ed, to look at Jack Cat's First Kingdom. We recently saw this covered in our coverage of the Comics Journal from 1977. This actually predates the journal. The article about First Kingdom was in 77. It was six issues in. This is 1974. This is an amazing comic on many, many levels. It starts in 1974 by Jack Katz, a guy who has a huge wealth of history, spent the uh, golden age of comics working for virtually everybody, even did a stint in the Kirby Simon studio. So got around comics a good bit and then left around the mid 50s like a lot of professionals did. Came back in the early 70s, did some work at Marvel and DC. Didn't really care for the uh, any of the conditions of that experience, but loves art, very dedicated to comics, and decides he has this giant story that he wants to, to tell. And that is what First Kingdom is. It is an epic in every sense of the word. From the very beginning, he planned on doing 24 issues of this, two issues a year. And you know what? We often say, don't buy subscriptions <laughs> to these things. Dude nailed it. Yes. He hit all those deadlines, and 12 years later, his 24-issue series comes to a conclusion. Published by Bud Plant, the very early days, it was published by kind of a joint Bud Plant offering in the form of Comics Comics, which was a retail operation Bud Plant had with a couple other guys. Uh, after, I think, about six issues or so, they break off, and it's Bud Plant then publishing these. But it predates what we think of as the direct market, but then also is one of those first creator-owned titles that is there as the direct market builds up. And as we will see going through this, an absolutely unique creation. Absolutely, man. Uh, I, I will confess that, you know, I've always seen these in the back issue bins and would always just kind of like dash over them. Uh, had no context. And uh, when you open it up and take a look, it's pretty dense. It is very dense. And it does, it does... It's not inviting. ...loosen up as the series goes on. But it's a massive story. So whenever we start, humanity has been almost wiped out in a nuclear holocaust. And so this story is going to track humanity being built back up. And as we go through the very beginning parts of this story, it's kind of a fantasy comic. You know, you see, like, what's left of humanity becomes very barbarians, back to their hunter-gatherer roots, fighting the monsters that inhabit this post-apocalyptic uh, wasteland. There are ideas about religion, society, gods, technology. As we get going, this will become more of a sci-fi book over time. And our main character 
doesn't even appear for the first three issues because he is going to be born of the characters that we are following in this very first uh, first couple of issues. And as you say, very dense issues. You know, we're going to see the whole development of this community that will then bear our heroes and then track those heroes as they rebuild civilization and then go off into the stars, uh, the destination of, of man, according to this story. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like there are a lot of parallels to today's world, right? There's a lot of people who are questing to get us into space, right. you know, and to make us this interspatial species, interstellar species. And that's kind of a, a, a part of this story, but not a part that we will see, you know, right away, as I say, you know, it's almost barbarian fantasies. And Katz, a guy who has a long history in comics, I can't remember when he was born, but I believe he's still alive, mm. which makes him probably close to 100 years old, which is remarkable. Yeah, he may or may not have gotten a uh, a, a big uh, congratulations by way of like a lifetime achievement Eisner or something. Something happened recently because Uncle Howie Chaikin was just lambasting him on, on Facebook a giant way. He said he never did anything of merit and told a story about a panel where uh, Gil Kane, uh, like Katz is supposed to be on the panel with Gil Kane and Gil Kane's uh, extolling the virtues of Jack Kirby keep mentioning Jack, 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 and saying nice things right as Jack Katz walks in and says, thank you. <laughs> and, 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 and Gil Kane is like, I'm talking about Kirby. That's, that's classic. That's a real funny <laughs> poor guy. Um, you see the virtuosity, though, as an artist. Like, you know, he's pouring everything into these pages. Super dense, as we mentioned, um, doesn't even have, like, white gutters for space right. in between. Dense typography. This font will actually change about 10 issues or so into the series. So it's something that continues to evolve over time. You'll see papers change. Um, different colorists will be painting the covers over his artwork. And um, each issue has an intro by a different creator. And some very noteworthy creators will talk about this book. And, and we'll kind of show those off as we flip through a couple of these. So I just wanted to kind of show what this looks like, how this starts. And for contrast, because we're going to jump around, we're not going to go uh, panel by panel and, and really get into this entire story because it is a very, very dense story, like I say, spanning generations and worlds. But man, you can see that classical approach to figure drawing. Absolutely. He was a sculpt, uh, a, teacher, a, a sculpting teacher. Yes. So you could imagine that yeah, you can, you can really see that he that. knows the figure. We often talk about the back muscles that everybody just kayfabes. I think he might know those back muscles. And uh, this is pretty fun. So Comics Comics was the publisher. Here's the whole team. Um, you, you can see the, the group that started these comic shops. I think at one point they had something like 9 or 10, 11 shops. I thought it was in 7. All. 7 was in my mind. This first one is actually... Uh, where the Telegraph Wire, the zine came out of that Diana Schutz edited for a while that was compared to the comics journal, you know, like I think it really opened some doors for her in terms of the quality of writing and editing that she was doing there, but kind of neat that my first issue signed by Jack Katz. Oh yeah, super cool. These were things that I tracked down on eBay. I bought a kind of a lot of these at some point just because like it's outsider, it's outlaw in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm going to put it in the outlaw playlist. It makes sense to me. Because of the density of that artwork. So this is, again, the first issue here, the 24th issue here. Yeah, let's look through this. Published 24th. in 1986. We interrupt today's video to tell everyone we will be at Baltimore Comic Con, September 8th, 9th, and 10th. We also want to remind everyone these videos are brought to you by the Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon. There are three levels there that will get you access to our videos ahead of everybody else. And King Kayfaber level, you'll get all the videos first, and you'll get to sit in on the recording sessions. 
These videos are also brought to you by the books that we make. Ed Piscor's Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus, collecting all of the Hip Hop Family Tree comics in one handsome volume, along with 140 extra pages, will be out this fall. The proof is here, and it is shipping now to comic book stores and bookstores near you. Put your name on a copy ahead of time if you want to make sure you don't miss out. Red Room, Crypto Killers. The final series of Red Room comics is now being serialized. Issues 1, 2, and 3 are available. 4 will be out shortly. There are two trade paperbacks of Red Room. They are all self-contained. So buy whichever one you see first and enjoy yourself. X-Men Grand Design is going to be collected. All three volumes in one oversized volume this fall from Marvel Comics. Put your name on a pre-order for X-Men Grand Design if you want to get that in time for Christmas. My latest books, True Crime Funnies, three nonfiction comics, true crime and wrestling comics. These are available on my website or on my Patreon. Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive from Image Comics, collecting eight complete stories of the Deadliest Girl Alive, the Plain Janes for the young reader, young adult reader in your life, and the Hulk Grand Design Treasury Edition is available now wherever books and comics are sold. And now back to today's video. You know, I often talk about 1986 being this great year, but it's a real victory lap. And every single issue has some intro material uh, usually a little bit by Jack Katz, in this case, a big piece. And like I said, it gets into things like ideas on religion and philosophy. Um, you can see the science fiction elements here as there are true gods, which almost like aliens. There are cyborgs and robot humanoids that are used as part of the technology for being able to go into space. And um, you can see also that the font has changed. And if you see the reprint books, because all of this stuff has been reprinted in six volumes that you can get, uh, I think they're all still in print, You'll notice that he switches up the fonts and the um, reprints of the initial uh, issues. And I think it's for consistency more than anything else because I think this is the font that he ends up using in that. Yeah. But man, look at these, like, again, not, not no shortcuts here on issue 24. No, no, but uh, they're, in spite of the density, I would I would say that this stuff feels more clear. And, and maybe that's a consequence of just uh, fewer panels per page. You know, he figured that part out. It definitely opens up as he gets past that first story arc, you know, he, he starts to do these bigger panels. There's just nothing else like this. And then, see, this is the kind of thing, it's just, you, that's that's a slog, you know? Right. And maybe, you know, you break it up or something. There, there's a way to, what, what's, here's what's amazing. This is Vivian girls. Like, this is outsider art fucking dude just kind of going ham with no editorial concerns or whatever. But there are shortcomings to that as, like, just, like, a general reading experience so like this gets a 10 out of 10 as art object yes but as a comic it honestly might be a two yeah it's something that i i, I was always curious to talk to like tom shioli about yeah, you know sure i think if big. you're into like the world building the mythology again the science fiction there's a lot to appeal here uh, a lot of ideas spread throughout this epic and it's interesting like this has been collected now at this point so it is available in you know reader-friendly book collections there are two additional volumes beyond the first four volumes of books collect these 24 issues wow. then there are two more additional volumes that are about 260 pages total of extra material and then he did i think a 500 page sequel and then like a 350 page sequel i don't think either of those two have been published yet but i mean it's a guy who He's obsessively making comics dude, dude, and, and big stories that he's telling. That's so inspiring to me because because I sort of feel like I'm at the start of something that could be thousands of, of pages, you know, and there's nothing stopping me. Like, I think I could support myself like through that. So I'm very interested in that notion. 
they would always run like some kind of ad so you could catch up. You know, if you come to this late in the game, yeah, it, they made it easy. They would reprint books so they were in print. They would do some collections. Uh, various publishers did some collections throughout the run of this, which is pretty interesting because it's like the prototypical graphic novels. Um, just a really interesting book, and it's one of those things of foresight. It's vision. You know, it's somebody that really kind of had an idea and really not an example that he could look at and say, this is the way to do it. So this is uh, two copies of book two, but different printings. Um, this is actually the first printing here on the left. I kind of feel like this looks like it should be the first, but not, not the case. This is a third printing. Uh, but again, speaking to the idea of keep these available, which became a staple of things like Cerebus or ElfQuest or any of these self-published, yeah, Love and Rockets, really becomes a staple of, if you're going to do indie comics, you got you got to be able to, if somebody picks up issue four and likes it, you need to have those other issues available. And it's also, as we often say, when you publish a new book, especially if it's part of a series, you sell some more volume one. Yeah. But you, only if you have volume one available for sale. Yeah, the, the work is done. Like, you just got to put in that investment. And I think that this is a confluence of a couple of things, man. You got a guy with a vision who's in the creative capacity. And throughout the history of comics, the guy with the creative energy is not the entrepreneurial spirit. You got Bud Plant, who's kind of a serial entrepreneur. Like, yes. like he, I think he was always like a hustler in, in the best sense of the word. So you do simple things that people take for granted, like, like have an ad in the back for the previous stock. Yes. He's got the warehouse space to be able to hold that inventory. So it just, it's, it's that confluence that, that made this possible. I'm, I wonder if this poor guy, you see these comics everywhere. You really do. And you see them for cheap mm -hmm. everywhere. So that suggests that there's a lot of them out there. But I just don't know how much money this guy was bringing in from comics for, for the level of craft. Like if you broke it down, you know, this is a calling kind of a comic. Like this guy could not not do this comic. Bill Blackbeard on the intro here. I'm going to be pointing these out. Sure, sure, just sure. some big names. But uh, it's a great monster. I, I I would bet that if you broke down, you know, the hourly rate per, you know, the page count, all of that stuff, he probably didn't make as much as somebody working at Burger King. Yeah, you may be right on that. You know, this is definitely a work of passion. I, you almost see that obsessive gotta get this down on paper kind of quality and you know very inventive stuff too it's not talking heads despite the density of what this is yeah um lots of these sequences do rely on the visuals to kind of tell you what's going on with the captions being somewhat supplemental and world building as opposed to the typical marvel dc style at this time of like everything's exposition yeah you know that's not what you're getting here this is a this is an idea to make a comic that's aimed at a different type of reader and um you know, it's just very experimental on top of everything else. So a breath of fresh air. I'm surprised that Absolutely. this is not a comic that is written about more, you know, because it feels like there wasn't a lot of competition for this kind of a, a comic at that time period. And it's timed when there are still a lot of fanzines happening. Yeah. And this really feels to me like a bridging of the gap between, say, fanzine and, you know, polished, professional. Not to say this isn't polished and professional, but you can see this is... It's in between fan press and, and a Marvel DC kind of project. Yeah, yeah. Like, we use that term bleeding edge fairly often. And, and like, this is a bleeding edge comic. This guy obviously has facility. It could draw. Draw like the fucking Dickens. Yeah, it's amazing to go from some of these weird ethereal and angels and things to then, like, sci-fi cockpits, highly detailed. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's super weird stuff. <laughs> it is weird. Look, at the, look, just for a page, how strange. 
just the marriage of all these different ideas on one pa- on one page and in one big giant story. Look at that for some strange color. Very seventies. Uh, That's how the thing. It feels very dated. It it's does. Very, it's very of the time. The uh, the the cover here, and it goes through several colorists. Alex Nino on this one. I think there's one at Steranko colors that'll be coming up so so like uh he gets respect you know oh, yeah he gets respect from his contemporaries switches to a brush here yes so the first four issues are fine line this issue switches to a brush and gives special thanks to jim steranko right. who will color a cover will write an intro there's a there's a piece in one of these intros where jack katz talks about Roz kirby saving uh one of the pages from the photocopier so some some interaction with Jack Kirby, you know, like they're using a photo his photocopy machine and Roz Kirby interacting and stuff. So he's on the West Coast at this point. I think he moves to the West Coast in the seventies. Berkeley, California is is the publisher, but I think he's also Berkeley, California for his PO box if you want to write to Jack Katz at the time. And yeah, plugged into the comics world, you know, he had a long history there. So it's not like he was an outsider, even though this feels like the work of an outsider artist. Yeah. Some of my favorite comics feel like the work of outsider artists. Totally. And, and that's what you got to do if you want to expand comics frontier a little bit. And that's what a guy like Jack Katz is doing with a book like this, really putting himself out there. You see pieces like this, and you can't help but think that it influences a Barry Windsor Smith who goes on to Gore Blimey and, and uses a lot of these textures that we're looking at right there. It's part of the reason I, I am surprised this book isn't talked about more widely because if you're interested in the visuals of comics yeah. in 1975 76 77 what's the competition <laughs> you know and maybe this is hard to find it's the early early days of like specialty retailers maybe it was just a matter of you can't find it anywhere but whatever the case may be um we've had a lot of time to catch up and i don't feel like we have yeah totally uh, you know this was a, this was a video that we've been intending to make for four years uh, but it's 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 certainly, you know, it's such an odd book. There's, you don't want to take certain lessons, like a lot of lessons from this in a way. Like like uh, it's just it's it's just it's not the elegant way to 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 make comics. But as an art object and as a statement, as a as a as a guy with his nose to the grindstone, you can't help but respect this. And I love that like these covers will be written and illustrated by Jack Katz, copyright 1977. Again, like the creator ownership is one of the giant stories for me on a book like this. And here's Steranko, uh, you know, giving his his intro and endorsement in print. So, like I say, connected. And I think probably a lot of these creators, the Kirby's, the Steranko's, everybody looking at this and saying, like, let's see how this goes. Like, like, let's open up some new avenues, because, I mean, the guy who's buying the Atom or... Uh, Red Tornado. Right. <laughs> this is a different audience. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> you know, this is a guy who's really out there trying to, I don't want to say make new readers because who knows what his motivation is exactly. But I think when you're making something like this, you can't help but make new readers. Yeah. Because this is not your typical comic. So, you nope. know. can Kniff doing a forward, huh? Yeah. So, again, to position like where this is, like there is definitely an awareness of it. Um, there are stories of him at Comic-Con, you know, early Comic-Cons, encountering various people there. So he was participating virtually his entire life in the comics culture. Um, love this back cover, the giant fist coming out, you know, the chained fist. Just amazing visuals, though. I think this might be colored by Jim Steranko on this cover. And an attractive 
package. They figured that out right away too. You know, like let's do these paintings on the front and backs. Each of the issues has that. So even though it's a little bit atypical for a comic, there is certain format consistency from issue to issue. If you were a fan, if you were looking for this thing, um, it stood out, you know, like you, you mentioned, good to do your ads in every issue. So it's easy for people to catch up if they don't have a comic book store, but it's also very identifiable. Whenever you see these in dollar bins, it's probably not an accident that uh, they had a certain amount of a footprint out there as a result. And I think, you know, you see like now we're switching over to our, uh, what would become the, the main font throughout the rest of the series, introduction from Jack Kirby. And, you know, talking about the difficulties in making comics and maintaining your vision. If anybody could speak to that, it's Jack Kirby. Oh, so right. I imagine he looked at this and felt pretty good for Jack Katz really doing something that he wanted to do and not being controlled by anybody else. There, there's a, the, the piece that we did, Comics Journal 38 with the Gil Kane interview, didn't mention like one of the most heartbreaking pieces in that interview with Gil Kane where uh, Gary asked him, do you think you'll ever get to realize your complete vision in comics? And Gil Kane says, no, I, I will never get to do that. Jack Katz did it. Tell me like stuff like this reminds me of like Ridley Scott and Prometheus, you know, these giant science fiction ideas of like, I don't know, gods that made or influenced humanity. Whenever you see a, a, a being like this holding that little person in his hand, it just feels like big sci-fi ideas. And um, we've looked at cover, we've done episodes where it's like, let's just look at all the Love and Rockets covers. Yeah. And I kind of feel like one of the joys of a book like First Kingdom that is so dense to read you certainly can get a lot from just seeing kind of the evolution of the of the art and the vision as it comes across yeah. 12 years of, of a guy's life. Yeah. John yeah. John Pound doing colors on, uh, starting with this cover on another, several of these. Another West Coaster. He's got the West Coast connection. Yes. On here. And and notice like uh, there's no, there's no uh, Toth conversation in these things maybe because he would probably shit on all of this. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember seeing Toth anywhere, but... Kelly Freeze, man, the painter of the uh, Mad Magazine covers. Yeah, quite quite a few. Uh, it, it's pretty distinguished, the guys who are giving this information. Um, there are newspaper writers, you know, people outside of comics that contribute some of these intros and give some context to this. I mentioned running into some of the um, people from Comic-Con or running into people in Comic-Con, and I, I'm trying to think. I want to say Scott Shaw, but I'm not sure that's the right guy. Talks about finding this. They would go to L.A. sometimes and uh to get comics you know sometimes they would get the comics earlier there found first kingdom on the newsstand in la so bud plant was doing some work man you know he was trying to get this book out in front of people and the fact that here we are looking at it 40 plus years later i mean 50 49 years after this started we're looking at this doesn't feel like a 49 year old comic it really doesn't because uh the <laughs> there's a lot of 80s black and white boom comics that have a little of this energy they would probably cite Barry Windsor Smith as, as like being the inspiration for it. But I think Barry was taking a look at this stuff. Like I said, I think anybody who's really interested in the visual side of it is probably at least conscious of this book coming out. And, you know, even f furthermore, if you're self-publishing or if you're trying to make personal comics that rely on the direct market, this is a forefather of the direct market. So there's a lot of avenues to get into the First Kingdom. Absolutely, man. Great video. Long time coming dig into uh jack cat's first kingdom and when you see those in the the little magazine dollar bins don't pass them up absolutely it's it's a really great historical artifact i think in in the world of comics and like i said i believe jack cat's still with us um nearing his uh, 100th birthday if not already there so 
Great work, Jack, man. You know, there's there's an audience out there and I love seeing this get repackaged as books and continue to find new generations of readers. Amazing. Okay, favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you when new videos are available. The Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon is there to mitigate the Kayfabe effect. If you become a King Kayfaber, you get all the videos before anybody else and you have access to the uh, live recording streams that we uh, that we set up every recording session. We're going to be at Baltimore Comic Con second weekend in uh, September. Looking forward to seeing you guys there. It was a great time last year. And that is the genesis point of Cartoonist Kayfabe. That's where we hatched the idea back in like 2018. Ultimately, the vids are brought to you by the books that we make. Jimmy, tell the people what you have. My latest book is True Crime Funnies. These are three nonfiction stories. I have sold out of the first printing of this, but I expect to have a reprint by Baltimore. If you can't wait that long, you can download the PDF on my website. You can also read this at any level on my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash jimrug, where I post my new comics. My other books that are available now are The Plain Janes for the young adult reader in your life. Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, a homeless ninja skateboarder. These are action superhero comics, eight full-color stories. This book was out of print for almost a year, but Image has brought it back, so you should be able to get that anywhere you buy comics. And my Hulk Grand Design book. This is the oversized treasury edition with a fluorescent green cover. Um, one of the best comics I have made. We're going to have to do a video on this one, Ed, yes, sooner sir. or later. But this is a love letter to the Incredible Hulk, perfect for the new Hulk fan in your life or the longtime Hulk fan. Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus is coming to you this holiday season. We got a, an actual copy in the house. Look at how thick that thing is. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a beautiful volume. 500 plus pages of Hip Hop Family Tree. That's all four volumes and uh, 140 pages of extras. Uh, we spent months designing this thing, getting it set up so that it is the ultimate Hip Hop Family Tree experience. And the books are done. You know, the, the inventory is on its way on a slow boat from China to uh, distribution houses and ev eventually to uh, the shops where you could scoop this up. So put in your orders and pre-orders right now. Not the only holiday book coming out. X-Men Grand Design Trilogy trade paperback is going to be coming out. This is the original uh, volume one, but uh, that will be the cover to the, uh, the Marvel trade paperback that will uh, include the out-of-print uh, editions of X-Men Grand Design and Red Room is the current comic. Crypto Killers is the latest series. Still need to get my comps for issue three, but there are three issues out right now out of four total. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game, and uh, these comics are self-contained. So if you see a Red Room comic, give it a read. If you dig it, grab another one. Uh, two trade paperbacks out there as we speak, and I'm serializing a daily, uh, what will inevitably be a daily strip on, on my Patreon right now. It's called Switchblade Shorties, and I can't wait for you guys to see it. There are other ways to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Jimmy, let the people know. You can subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, hats, mugs, fanny packs, stickers, and lots more at our spread shop. That link is also under this video. All good ways to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Give them those marching orders, Jimmy. We'll be on our way. Read more comics.